Investing. Should be easy, right? For most people, though, the process of investing can be daunting. And savvy investing? Impossible. Here at Alliant Retirement and Investment Services, we don't think it should be that way. So we asked two of our financial consultants, Christian Japluha and Tom Davia, to share their advice with you. They're here to walk us through the fundamentals of investing so we can make informed and better decisions with our money and what we need to do to prepare for the road ahead. Happy Holidays! I'm Brooke Jakey, and I'm here with our hosts, Christian Chapluha and Tom Davia. For our last episode of the year, we wanted to talk about a very popular, and let's face it, confusing topic, Social Security. Now, many of you have attended our webinars on the topic, and we love all the questions that come up in our Q&A. So we thought we'd pick up where our webinars end and do a deeper dive on some of those questions. We want to look at how Social Security got started, where the program is now, and where it's going to be. The past, present, and future of Social Security, if you will. And along the way, we'll see about turning this benefit into a million dollars. And at the end, we'll have a calculation for you to determine the ideal date to start taking your benefits. Now, in a world where nothing is guaranteed, please note that this is a very tongue-in-cheek statement. So let's start with how it all began. Tom, can you take us on a quick walk through the history of the Social Security program? Sure, Brooke. I know a lot of people are afraid that Social Security is going to go away or it's bankrupt or they're never going to see these benefits, or they just discount it completely from their financial planning. And really to address that, I think what you need to do is start looking at the history of the program itself, see what's brought us to this point. So Social Security started in 1935, coincidentally is the same year that Alliant Credit Union opened, but the first payments went out in 1937. And back then it was a beautiful system because you had to be age 65 to receive benefits. However, life expectancy was only age 63. So if you live long enough to receive benefits, you probably weren't going to receive them for very long. Now, what happened over time is we built up a surplus or what they call the Social Security Trust Fund. And it started to get bigger and bigger as we were taking in more than we were paying out in benefits. And over time, we changed it from a retiree benefit. It's not technically called Social Security anymore. It's called OASDI, which is Old Age Survivor and Disability Insurance. And as our colleague Brunel would say, don't kill the messenger. We didn't come up with the name old age. It's just what it's called. Right. And what we've done is we've dipped into that surplus or the trust fund and we're depleting it. So when you hear on the news that Social Security is running out of money or it's going bankrupt, what it actually means is the trust fund is going to be exhausted by the year 2035. What this means for all of us is that Social Security will never go away because it's a pay-as-you-go system. The money I pay into the system in December is going to be paid out to my dad as benefits in January. So according to the Social Security Administration trustees report, when the trust fund is exhausted, there's only going to be enough money coming in to pay 77% of those benefits on a monthly basis. It won't go away, but if nothing changes, there will be a 23% reduction for everyone. So in a nutshell, it's not going to go bankrupt. It's salvageable. We just need to make a few changes. Christian, what do you think of the state of the system today? I think the main thing to focus on in terms of Social Security is that it's a guaranteed source of income that you cannot outlive. So it's a tremendous benefit. It could be a million dollars or more in payments that you receive over time. 
Um, and that's inflation adjusted. So if inflation is higher, your payments go up. Not only is it a source of secured income, it also preserves your purchasing power. From that standpoint, being a great benefit, something we should seek to maximize when we do decide to file, because that filing decision is irrevocable after a year. The problem, though, is we have limited or non-perfect information. So we need to make some guesses about the key variables that will impact our decision. Things like longevity and health, our family. There are several parts to the Social Security discussion. One is the soft side, where your values come into play, such as, do I want to spend more sooner in my retirement or later? Or how will my benefit affect my spouse? Then there are the hard numbers, such as longevity estimates, employment, taxes, spending. That's the more quantitative side of things. I think that the best process is finding the balance between the two. So are there discussions happening right now in Congress or other government departments to change that trajectory? I know we've had two major increases due to inflation, to the cost of living adjustment, the COLA. Are there other ways they're trying to adjust that possible depletion? I think to answer that, you have to think of ourselves as politicians running for office. And if we were to run on the idea of raising retirement ages on Social Security and raising taxes, it probably wouldn't be a platform that we would win on right now. However, if we fast forward to the year 2030 and we are in imminent danger of benefits being cut by 23%, then you run on that platform of saving the system and making those reform changes. That will bring us back to where we need to be, a full benefit payment for everyone. Now, to make that happen, it's probably going to be a combination of a couple things. Number one is full retirement age in 1935 was 65. Now it's 67. So we might see that creep up a little bit. There may also be an increase in how much we pay in Social Security taxes. So I don't think you're going to see one area raised independently. I think it's going to be a combination of those things. Now we're venturing into a political conversation here, and we just don't know the answers. But that would be the best way to address the issue. But I'll tell you this. There are too many people that rely on Social Security as their sole source of income, and we cannot cut benefits across the board by 23%. It could put too many people into poverty in this country. So there will be a solution. It's just going to take time to get to that solution. Right, Tom. I think questions around how to make it more solvent are very important, but at the same time, we should focus on what we have control over, what we know. It's just like investments, right? Your political preferences are not an investment strategy, and it goes the same for Social Security. Again, it comes down to a number of factors different for everyone, such as dollar value of benefits, age to claim, marital status, work status, tax brackets, etc. I think those are the key questions that we need to put through our calculators, having the discussion around when to file. Now, you both talk to people of all ages. What would you say to a 30-year-old, someone whose full retirement age right now would be 67, but even that has the potential to go up? Do you try to steer them away from thinking of Social Security as being part of a three-legged stool, or do you look more positively at the situation? Yeah, I would say absolutely. And this is something that you're paying into on a biweekly basis. It's coming out of your check and it's going somewhere. Now, there's not a file cabinet in a big mountain with your name on it that says you're owed this lump sum of money, but your benefits are going to accumulate over time and it's going to pay you out a certain monthly amount. So you do have to include Social Security benefits into your planning assumptions. There's no reason not to include it. 
reaching your goals is hard enough. You don't want to remove money that's coming your way. Some of the messaging in the media feels like, as you said earlier, I'm putting money into the system and then it's going to my dad. Oh, hi, dad. No offense. But I think there's a feeling with younger people that instead of me benefiting from that deposit in the future, I'm paying for the baby boomers. You know, to that point, I watched this news program it was kind of the man on the street and they were talking about Social Security and they would come up to people and they would put the microphone right in their face and they would say, do you think Social Security is going to be here for you? Do you think it's going bankrupt? And they would almost plant these ideas and inevitably everybody would say, no, it's not going to be here or yes, it's going bankrupt. And that's just the media view of things, that it's a sinking ship, but actually it's not. Now, as I mentioned, there's some problems that have to be fixed, but you absolutely have to use it as part of your financial planning. And I'll tell you, if you're talking to a younger generation and you don't use their social security benefits in the assumptions, and they have to come up with this retirement planning on their own, it's really daunting. But it goes back to what you said, Brooke, the three-legged stool, right? The three parts being social security, some personal savings, and some 401k retirement accounts. But if we remove social security completely and we say, all right, now you need to save $10 million to make your retirement dreams work, it's going to discourage a lot of people from their goals. I would also say that it's difficult to predict the future. Intuition tells us that the checks might be lower, but we don't know that for sure. Make it part of your financial plan, but don't rely on that alone. Work as hard as you can to have a balanced life, but still continue to contribute to the system. The harder you work, the more you make, the more you're going to save, hopefully. That way you're setting yourself up for more success in retirement. That's at least what I would tell my 30-year-old self and anybody else that's mid-career saving for retirement. I think it's really important to stress the history of it. As Tom said, at the beginning of Social Security, life expectancy was 65 years old, and now people are living longer. There's a good chance that many of us will live longer than our ancestors with good health care. And so everyone has to sort of adjust their expectations about how much they would get. We can use our family history to estimate our longevity and adjust for our own health. For instance, if my parents both live to age 90, as long as I'm in good health, there's a good chance I will as well. So I might want to think about delaying my filing for benefits in that situation. If our parents passed away sooner, then it might make sense to get those cash flows more quickly. It really has to be individualized in terms of that strategy. That's a key takeaway from this podcast. I know you said that Social Security benefits are something we can't outlive. But when you die, is there anything that rolls over or does it just stop? I suppose it can be different for a single person or a married person. That's a good question. And the first way to look at it is, are there any kind of special lump sum death benefit payments? And there is but it's not a substantial amount. It's $255 to a surviving spouse or a minor child. Now, the other way to look at it is a surviving spouse would receive a full benefit at their full retirement age, and they can collect the survivor benefit while letting their own benefit defer, maybe until age 70. Now, if I don't have a financial need to receive my social security benefits, I'm going to defer it as long as I can to say age 70. If I keep deferring those payments, what I'm potentially doing is setting up my wife for greater survivor benefits down the road. Okay, but not past 70, right? You have to start taking it then. I use the term must be present to win. <laughs> so you have to take those payments. There's no reason going beyond age 70. 
all the benefits will stop increasing and then you have to make sure you're taking the benefits at that point. Think about longevity for both you and your spouse. You'll be able to make a potentially better filing decision. Yeah, Christian, to that point, it's interesting when we go through the financial planning process, we look at various ages and different assumptions. Now, some of the times if we take Social Security early, essentially what it does is it lets our investments continue to grow. We don't have to take money out of the investments or out of the market. And we actually have a higher ending lifetime portfolio value because of that because we took social security early to pay for maybe fixed expenses. The flip side of that is I still need money. I'm going to take it from my investment accounts and I'm going to let social security grow. We'll look at both scenarios because at the end of the day, from full retirement age to age 70, this benefit will increase 8% per year for you. And that's the only vehicle in the world that I know that will increase a guaranteed 8% per year. So we have to look at both of those equations. I want to go back to the idea of a spouse inheriting the benefits. Are there any benefits that are available to single people? Are they able to have a niece or nephew or a child as their beneficiary? Uh, no. Well, that's disappointing. <laughs> it's all based on the spouse. And a few years ago, there used to be more detailed filing techniques that we would use. But right now, the spousal benefit is the greater of your own work benefit or 100% of your spouse's benefit. The widow-widower benefit can be started as early as age 60, but has further benefit reductions for taking it that early. Also, if you're retired and receiving benefits and you have minor children at home under the age of 18, they are going to qualify for a benefit or a payment off your record as well. Now, we had a situation in a seminar. It was somebody who was receiving Social Security benefits. Their wife was younger and they had minor children. We did the calculations for them. And it turned out she could quit her job and stay home and take care of the kids because the next day they were going to file for benefits for the kids. Oh, wow. Yeah, I had a client like that as well, where the dad wanted to consider claiming for retirement early. Mom was going to work longer, but the kids were in their early teens. And so how would that work with the kids receiving a benefit also? It gave the family more cash flow in order to have dad possibly retire earlier. Those are great things to uncover. And situations like that can come up when you talk to a professional, those little loopholes that you don't know about. And when you talk to somebody about it, you're always going to have more questions. You might be willing to share more with a professional than if you were speaking with a friend or neighbor. As advisors, we speak to two or three people a day over the course of the year. That's a lot of conversation. So we might have a better idea of what key questions to ask. And Christian, as you mentioned earlier, Social Security may pay you a million dollars over your lifetime. If you look at it another way, I try to stress the fact that this is basically like having a million dollar investable asset. Because if you had a million dollar investment, you have to come up with some sort of amount that you're going to withdraw from it. And if you say, I'm going to take out 5% per year, you're going to pay yourself $50,000 per year. Now, the maximum monthly amount at Social Security at full retirement age is currently $3,345. And if a spouse additionally receives 50% of that amount, the total household monthly income at full retirement age would be about $5,000 or $60,000 per year. At a 5% withdrawal, you would need over a million dollars in an investment account to match this income. That's how I get to a million dollars. So you just can't wake up one day and say, okay, I'm going to start Social Security or I heard on the news it's going away. Don't discount a million dollar decision. Everybody loves the idea of a million dollars. 
That's almost like a lottery question, right? When people win the lottery, they have to structure that annuity and they have a choice. Do they take the lump sum, which is less, or do they take it out over time? And if they take it out over time, do they take it at $1 level versus another dollar level? Yeah. And, you know, I think another way to kind of put this in perspective is something that we call the social security break-even calculation or the break-even age. And what that means is if I start at age 62 or I start at age 67 or 70, at what point in time would all those calculations equal each other? And for most people, it's right around age 80, give or take. But that's the break-even point. You have to look at that and immediately dive into your family history and longevity again. If you have a history of centigenarians or octogenarians in your family, you may want to wait as long as you can before taking these benefits. Now, if the reverse is true, if you don't have longevity in your family, again, as we said, you must be present to win. You want to take those benefits as early as you can. And that is the other piece of the puzzle that we look at. And that's kind of why we say this is a little bit more of an art than a science to put it all together for you. Hey, Tom, it's a really important question. When we have that discussion with clients, they normally don't appreciate when that break even happens, the fact that it's in their early 80s. There's also a net difference of total benefits at age 90 versus sooner to consider, and the question of whether it's worth the wait to delay filing. We want to know how much am I getting at age 90 if I claim at 67 versus 70, and do I want to give up those three years of cash flow? So when we do the math and factor in personal choice, it will be different for everybody. So that's why running it through the calculators is so helpful. And there's no cookie cutter answer. I have a good friend who started taking benefits at age 62 because he has health problems and those problems run in his family. So he made the decision to take it early, but the decision to leave money on the table by delaying shouldn't be taken lightly. Okay, Brooke, when we started today's episode, you said we have the perfect calculation for you to determine the exact date for each one of you to start taking your benefits. <laughs> so here's that calculation. We could help you find out when to start or what's the best time to file if you give us two pieces of information. Number one, your date of birth, and number two, your date of death. <clears throat> Is this thing on? Can you hear me? <laughs> <laughs> We're obviously joking, but as you can see, it's more of an art than a science. So to calculate the start date, we look at things like, are you still working? Because if you're still working, there's going to be an earnings offset, and we don't want you to take the benefit if you're still working. Next, is there a financial need? If you simply need or have to take this money, you have to start it, and you might have to start it early. But if you could wait, that's where those deferred credits come in. And the longer you wait, the more you get. Let's get to some savvy advice. Christian, what do you have for us? By the time you take this benefit, you've worked long and hard. Social Security will be there for you, although it might look a little different than it did for your parents. The bad news is that time flies. The good news is you're the pilot. Take this opportunity to do the proper planning for what is a significant amount of income it increases for inflation, and it will last you throughout your lifetime. Well, this has been a packed episode. Do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I would say there's much more to this topic than we've talked about today. We haven't talked about individual filing strategies, surviving spouse benefits, or even taxation. So we encourage you to reach out to one of our financial consultants to discuss your situation and goals, and let us help you determine the best filing strategy. 
Also, take the time to understand what your options are and how to best get to your goals. Don't rush this decision. Again, it's a potentially million-dollar question. Thank you, Tom and Christian. You can find episodes of Invest Savvy on Apple and Google Podcasts and on all major platforms or on our website. Please follow us on Facebook and LinkedIn for new episodes and educational webinars and articles. Just search for ARIS, A-R-I-S, Alliant, to like and follow. Our team is available to help you with your financial plan. Visit our website to contact a financial consultant. Thank you for listening to Invest Savvy, advice you need to know. To learn more about our hosts, Kristen Chupluha and Tom Davia, and the team at Alliant Retirement and Investment Services, please visit our website at aris.alliantcreditunion.com. If you have questions for our hosts, you can submit them through our website or email investment-services at alliantcreditunion.com. Christian Chabluha and Thomas Davia are registered representatives with and securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker dealer. Member FINRA SIP SIPC. Insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. Alliant Credit Union and Alliant Retirement and Investment Services, ARIS, are not registered as a broker dealer or investment advisor. Registered representatives of LPL offer products and services using ARIS and may also be employees of Alliant Credit Union. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of Alliant Credit Union or ARIS. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by NCUA or any other government agency, not credit union guaranteed, not credit union deposits or obligations may lose value. The opinions voiced in this podcast Podcasts are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. No investment strategy can guarantee a profit or protect against loss. Neither LPL Financial nor its registered representatives offer tax or legal advice. Always consult a qualified tax advisor for information as to how taxes may affect your particular situation. 